So tell me a little bit about what the future of work is looking like. Well, gosh, what I mean, it's it's fascinating how this is really kind of an evergreen topic, Jewel. As I speak with people, I, I'm almost waiting for the for somebody to say, you know what, I, I'm I'm done talking about it. Can we move on to a different topic? And yet, when I gather people together, it's always a curiosity because, again, there's so much dynamism to this. Um, and, and the way that I like to frame it, Joel, is in 2019, and for basically the history of business. 95 to 98% of business was done in an office. And, you know, if you change jobs, you change offices, you might change cities or even countries because of that change of a job. And that was just a given. It wasn't a very few people would even think to ask for some liberty associated with that. It's just, I'm sorry, my, my, my kids and my, my spouse are coming with me new schools, new house. Uh, that's just the way that business is done. And, you know, 2020 came around March of it and, uh, we, all of a sudden the world changed. And if you were fortunate enough, and we need to be mindful, of course, that not everyone was, but if you were fortunate enough to be in a job that you could work virtually, obviously for your health, your families, and for your colleagues, there was no choice, uh, but to, to work virtually. And a couple things that I will say about that transition. Number one, uh, I, I think we we pat ourselves on the back at how well most of most companies seem to do in moving uh, moving virtually, and I think part of that is you know most businesses at least had folks traveling and therefore like you know logging in from a, a a client's office or from a hotel or from an airplane or you know making sure that you you are productive no matter where you are, and it was simply sort of amplifying some of the practices that executives or maybe the entire team. Um, had in place at least from time to time, obviously with a lot more resilience and and uh, and strength to it, given the the quantity and regularity frequency of this. But the other thing that we need to be mindful of is we went to virtual with uh, and by the way, from a pl- level playing field of all in the office to a level playing field of all virtually, therefore common experience between those folks uh, with people that we once were in offices with, you know, by definition. And so there is a baked in trust. If you and I. Uh, we're colleagues dating back to 2015, Joel. And then in March of 2020, we went virtually. We know each other's what sports teams we like. We know, you know, our, our spouse's names and can ask about them. We will, we know, you know, that uh, you're an evening person and I'm a morning person and therefore like when to contact each other uh, in order to get a, a quick response. You know, we, we know that, and frankly, we, there's probably a bank of trust such that if I'm having a bad day and you know, I say something that seems a little sideways to you. You don't hold it against me because because of that bank of trust that that uh, that I'm I'm asking you to draw upon uh, uh, through through our interactions. And so things actually went surprisingly well through 2020. I, you know, obviously all things being equal, if you were a hospitality company or a uh, airline or a restaurant company, not so much. But you know, if yours was an organization that wasn't um, overly impacted like that, a lot of companies were. Uh, so, you know, surprised by by um, how well they were doing through the course of that time. But what happened then, and here's where the, I think the real challenge came once, you know, the vaccine came into place and, you know, once people, more people, frankly, got, got COVID, once there was a greater comfort in being together in person and we began to be able to do so, really for the first time, the unleveling of the playing field happened. And so 18 months into this is the first time that you see that unleveling happen. Some coming back into offices, some continuing to work at home. And frankly, a great deal of flexibility uh, on average from off from, from uh, employers to their employees as to where work was done. And so, and then you add an additional dynamic of more by de- again by definition more people joining the company um, in a hybrid form. Perhaps some of them in places where there's not even office, several hours or even flights away from where offices once were. 
And so how do you build trust in those scenarios, Joel? Uh, how do the things that kind of, you know, examples I gave in this fictional, uh, you know, uh, example of you and I being colleagues for many years, how do you uh, accumulate the sorts of experience such that that trust is there and that knowledge of each other is there? And of course, it's not impossible. And there's some organizations that have done great work in accomplishing that. But I think it is, it has to be very intentional. You know, there's so much that frankly is when you're in an office that you take for granted of just sort of the you know, you and I have been traveling for for a week and we come back and we happen to see each other in the cafeteria at the office and we catch up on, on our travels and what we're learning and so on. And it wasn't planned. And moreover, in so doing, we're enjoying each other's company. We're reminding ourselves of, of how much we like each other and so on. Now we need to create those sort of happy accidents where we can at least so that our the 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 folks on our teams who are rarely in each other's companies, if if that if, if in fact that's that's um you know our employ our employer's decision, have a a way of feeling like they're part of something that's bigger than just themselves. And then I, I think I'll just add one other point and and, and let you uh, let you go for a moment uh, in my monologue here for 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 a time. But I um I think it's important for us to remember that uh. You know, the, the, as this continues to evolve, it's going to be, um, we will learn more about what is working and what is not working. And so what I've been advising executives who I counsel is uh, borrowing from, though we use it in a different way, borrowing from Jeff Bezos, don't go through any one-way doors. You know, if yours is a company where you say, like, you will never have to work in an office again, boy, that's a right that is very difficult to walk back. And you may, you may find out, frankly, that a year or two or three uh, into this experiment that things are not working so well and some change is necessary. Again, I think there are some companies that will continue as hybrids or, fr- frankly, even continue as, as primarily virtual and succeed. I don't, I'm, I'm not here to say that everyone needs to get back 100% into offices or even necessarily half time into offices. But we need to be intentional about and, and even thoughtful about what has been lost uh, in so doing, and find ways to replicate what has been lost to make sure that we are not losing our culture at the same time. A hundred percent. Now, these happy accidents and building relationships while remote, have you seen anyone do things that are fairly unique or creative? One company that I, I've uh, I've been uh, getting to know, admittedly, they were born virtual. And that's always interesting to sort of see sort of somewhat scaled organizations that have been virtual really since the beginning. There, there are a few of them. And uh, the the CEO with whom I'm friendly talked about the necessity of having a, um, basically a racy matrix, if you're familiar with those, right? Responsible, accountable, uh, consulted and informed and determining for every kind of topic that we are tackling as a company, who is the R, who is the A, who is the C, who is the I. Use that to then determine who is in the meeting to talk about what, but also, frankly, to understand on the back end of that. Um, you know, we, we go as we go off into our separate spaces, perhaps not seeing each other for for hours or days or weeks, as the case may be, that we know clearly what you're doing, Joel, versus what I'm doing. And frankly, you know, who's reporting to whom on this very topic so that we're not losing something um, uh, because of an amorphous uh, understanding, a lack of clarity as to who is who's responsible for what. And then I think associated with that, a related topic certainly is the metrics associated with it as well to make sure that we're, we're uh, you know, there's clarity around when we're getting together, when we are delivering what we need to deliver, um, that we have clear lines of that uh, also. Um, I think, you know, on top of that, I, I think especially if you are erring more towards virtual work, being very intentional about what it is 
that brings us together. There's a framework that I, I wrote about in my Forbes column a few a few weeks ago. It centers around five C's. And the idea is understand the type of work that we're doing that should dictate that we are together in person. I define that as connect, um, create, collaborate, career plan, and celebrate. And it's not to say that all five, you know, all five of those always have to be done in person. I just mean to suggest that that they are, I think, best done in person. And frankly, if you've got a framework, whether something like that or something of your own creation, that helps, frankly, come come up, uh, it helps us get past some of the ambiguity. Let's say, Joel, that you love working in the office. You work in an efficiency apartment with your spouse, your dog, maybe a new a new baby. You can't wait to find a quiet space to do some thinking. You know, I, I work in a comfortable house where I've got a dedicated office space and, you know, everything in reach. My coffee's right here where I can go make myself a lunch out of my kitchen. I don't ever want to go into an office again, let's say, and you and I work for the same company. Well, if that's the case, then I may be kind of like pushing more and more that that what we do is virtual when in fact you're pushing more and more for us to do things and work. Let the framework determine it. If you and I can can come to the conclusion, today's a create day. Today we're, we're brainstorming and developing something new. And it's going to be really good for us to be in the same room with our the rest of our colleagues on this team and around a whiteboard and brainstorming together. And so let's agree that, you know, Thursday of this week, we're going into the office and maybe some of us are flying in accordingly because that's going to be the richest um, kind of experience given the kind of work that we need to do. Once the plan is then set after that creation, that brainstorming session, um, let's go off on our different ways, maybe then borrowing from my, my example a moment ago, each of us understanding what our, our, our responsibility is, and then we'll determine when we're going to need to get back together as a result of reaching some sort of milestone or getting to another one of the C's as the case may be. So I think that that is um, you know something we've we've developed as a result of seeing what's working well uh, across a number of companies that we have um, have the 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 the, the blessing of, of of collaborating with um, as working t- towards uh, a productive end in determining when when we we should come into the office versus those experiences that may be best done uh, virtually. But there was one topic we haven't gotten to, which is about evolving and cannibalizing your own business for the future. Do you have any good stories or examples about that? This is a critical element. This, I mean, the 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 best work on this is the late Clayton Christensen's uh, Innovator's Dilemma and the necessity for all of us to be aware that what wor- has worked uh, to, to date will not necessarily work going into the future. And don't be... Uh, um, you know, past performance doesn't doesn't guarantee future performance. To to paraphrase what one also always sees uh, with, with the 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 materials that come with with um uh you know different different fun, you know mutual funds and so forth or investment portfolios, it, it is uh, it's critically important that we recognize the evolving landscape uh, of business and how fast change is coming and the many great businesses that once were that are no longer as a result of not being able to kind of cross that cross that chasm to a new way of operating. And so, you know, there there the there a litany of once leading companies, the, you know, b- best performing uh uh stock of the S&P for the 1980s was Circuit City. Uh I can't remember we've talked about the story before or not Joel, but you know, best performing stock in the S&P 500 only went public in 84, so in less than 6 years returned more than 8,000% to those who participated in the IPO. Super successful in the 1990s. Car, CarMax, among other companies, are born out of it because of that success. In 2001, they're featured in Good to Great, Jim Collins' classic tome, 01, 
09, they're liquidated. And, you know, part of the story there is not recognizing some of the dynamics of what were coming to pass in the aughts, uh, the, the early 2000s, that um, shaped, the, sh- shaped their outcome for them. And we need to be humbled by stories like that. A blockbuster, one of the best performing stocks of the 1990s that couldn't pivot uh, based upon where digital business was going as another prominent example of many that we could we could state and come up with together. I think, you know, there are a number of companies that have done remarkable jobs of reinventing themselves and and, and that you know digital mediums and digital engagement uh, being at the center of that. One thing's that Domino's Pizza is one of the like great, great examples of, you know, one of the best performing stocks. You know that in the the the, dec- the last decade, uh, uh, 2010 to, to 2020, a uh, domino stock performed better than Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Apple. Uh, you know, just an interesting fun fact. Yes. And part of it was admittedly in 2010, it was, it was not a, not a great stock. So it was not performing particularly well. You can argue, of course, that, that the starting point helps, but nevertheless, at that, that point is not, you know, that passes quickly when you see just how well they did. And a lot of it, I mean, part of it was also a recognition that their product was not what it once should be, what, what it should be rather. Uh, the CEO, in fact, had a national ad campaign where he apologized to customers for sucking. We're sorry for sucking. Uh, so pretty significant mea culpa there that was basically suggesting, look, we're going to get the product better. Obviously, that's first and foremost. Without that, forget all, all the other things. So they worked on the product, but they also worked on the technology behind it and ensured that uh, I'll fast forward to part of the kind of punchline here. The technology, they insourced a lot of what was once outsourced, recognizing those aspects that were most strategic. They created um, basically the ability to for customers to interact with the, with the company how they wished as opposed to dictating it to them. So early adopters of you know being able to Slack with Domino's or uh, text with Domino's, the ability to have uh, pizza delivered to somewhere without an address, a beach or a park and have it find you. Um, and, you know, order, uh, uh, you know, contactless uh, order and pickup, but also, uh, it, you know, reducing the number of steps to order your pie, especially if you've got sort of like consistent order that you want coming every Friday. Um, and so just really rethinking the experience for customers, leveraging digital tools in super creative ways. And let me, let me add, Joel, they were one of the enormous success stories uh, uh, during the pandemic as well for their ability to pivot so quickly for the digital channels that they had already put in place. It was actually not that much of it in an industry that was one of the hardest hit of all restaurants. It was one of the quickest to pivot towards uh, actually increased sales through the early part of the pandemic, interestingly enough. And so, uh, and then on top of it, developed kind of this uh, sexiness to the brand from a tech perspective, such that this company based in suburban Detroit became sort of a, a landing place for a lot of really talented tech folks. So anyway, I mean, there, there are a number of, of examples like that of, of companies that had gone, you know, done very well, had a, had a humbling, and then recognized something needed to change with tech and digital being an important ingredient in that change. And so that's one of several that I, could, I can offer, but, but uh, one of my favorites anyway. 